You can turn your Bibles to Psalm 72. And I want to get this text before us. This is a royal psalm. There are several of them in the Psalter. All of the Bible is about Christ. uh, But the royal psalms are very clearly looking forward to a future king, as we talked about a little bit throughout the service. And if you noticed, um, a lot of the songs were about Jesus as king. And so we come to this royal psalm with that perspective. Psalm 72. This is God's word. Listen, because it's God's word to you. Of Solomon, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Shiva be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. It's almost the new year, and leading up to it, many people reminisce and ponder all the happenings of last year, all the ups and downs, all the struggles of life, all the happy moments. I looked up some fun over-unders for us this morning. So the way over-unders go is I'll say a number, and you uh, think to yourself on whether you're over that number or under that number. So in 2023, were you over or under these numbers? 54 movies watched. It's about one a week. Over under 392 total hugs. There are hugs people and there are not hugs people, so you're either over or under that one. Over under 125 times late to something. (laughs) Over under 19 times you cried. Over under 13 times your phone died. I'm way over that number. Over under 22,280 texts sent and received. And last one, over under, 107 pizza slices eaten. Very over on that one. 
It's all fun and games. And the truth is that the new year gives us an opportune moment to look back at the past and remember it. It's also a time to assess the present. It is a time to celebrate, to laugh, to look around at those that are in your life and be thankful. It's a time to ask questions. Where do you stand right now in terms of health, occupation, family, finances? What are the major problems that you face in this present moment? What are your deep desires, needs, wants? And once that present assessment is done, New Year's resolutions follow. The new year is perhaps the time more than any other in the year that we look to the future. What solutions are you going to implement? How are you going to address problems? What are you going to do to achieve goals? What sort of person do you want to be? Or what sort of person do you want to remind yourself to be? And so we have it. The new year gives us the opportunity to remember the past, to assess the present, and to look to the future. And in this passage this morning, I want to show you that even more than the new year, this psalm inspires us to remember the past, assess the present, and look to the future in light of our king. And my friends, since Jesus reigns as the king of all things, you really can live a kingdom life, a life that is pleasing and glorifying to God. So first, I want you to see that you can live a kingdom life by remembering the Lord's past goodness. Now, it may seem at first glance that this psalm does not focus much on the past. There is a lot of asking about things in the future here. May he judge the people, verse two. Let the mountains prosper, verse three. May he crush the oppressor, Verse four, may the righteous flourish. Verse seven, may desert tribes bow down. Verse nine, may kings fall down. Verse 11, and on and on. May he this, may he that. In fact, 16 out of 20 of the verses in this psalm have an explicit future element. The whole psalm seems resolutely fixed on the future. How then can we tie remembering the past to living a kingdom life as expressed in this psalm? That's the question. Well, one way to understand is to see This psalm was a prayer of David, as indicated in verse 20, likely at Solomon's coronation. It is one of only two psalms that have the phrase, of Solomon, in the canon. The other is Psalm 127. What this phrase most likely means is a psalm to and for Solomon. And at the time that it is written for him, all these petitions are future requests. But one of the beautiful things about the language of literature and poetry And psalms contained in the Bible is that they have dual fulfillment because they are so rich in meaning. For Solomon, many of these requests are partially fulfilled in his lifetime. Solomon is now known for his wise and his just rule. Peace during his reign extended far across Israel. Israel's borders were the largest ever in its history during his reign. Look at verse 10. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. This happened with Solomon. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. The queen of Sheba did just that as recorded in 1 Kings 10. Abundance was everywhere while Solomon was king, just as verse 16 petitions. These may have been future petitions for Solomon, but for everyone reading them after his reign, it would have been clear that God had been good in the past. It would have been a psalm of remembrance and thankfulness. However, there's something lacking in Solomon as king. 
We do not live in the time of Solomon. However, we know that his name did not endure forever. The earthly kingdom of Solomon's reign split the second after he died, and it only got worse in Israel from that time on. The nations turned against him and his people. Solomon did not end his life well. Scholars debate whether or not he was truly regenerate at all. Does this mean that the psalm is not really true? That it was just written as a propagandistic and foolish hope? Well, of course not. We have the privilege of reading this psalm not primarily during the reign of King Solomon, but during the reign of the one true king, Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled the story. Much of this psalm has already been fulfilled in that second person of the Trinity, in that blessed royal son, in the everlasting king. And since Jesus reigns now as the king of all kings, we can remember his past goodness to us as already fulfilled. When the wise men visited him bearing gifts, this psalm was fulfilled. His reign not only extends from sea to sea, but all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. All nations can now worship him and bless his name. Solomon built the temple in one location and all had to come to him. Jesus built the temple in his church and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on his people and all the nations see the face of God as his word is proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit goes forth through you and through me and all who corporately together represent the temple, the very presence of the living God. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And there are people out there who have not yet come to him who will also, who he will win through you. They are a people for his possession. Christ is your king. It is promised so. Verse 15 says, long may he live. And we know that Christ has risen from the grave. Long may he live, eternally, forever and ever. Death could not hold him back because he is perfect. And death will not hold you back because you are sons and daughters of the king of all things. He is not just present during the day when the sun is up, but he is present at night when the moon shines too. Darkness does not hold him back. The night cannot overcome him. There has been an abundance of grain, of food and sustenance, verse 16. And it is Jesus, the bread of life, who has been broken for you. Do you see how this fulfills? All of this is fulfilled in Jesus. This psalm screams Jesus as king. And the question before us is this. How must we respond to all of this? If this psalm is true, and it is in Christ, how then must we live? Living a kingdom life means remembering what the Lord has done for you in his goodness and stirring it up in your heart with the Lord's grace, stirring up an attitude of thankfulness for all he has done. Look at verse 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. And these psalms, these little moments in this psalm are meant to be sung back and forth in the assembly, in a worship assembly. Notice the rep- repetition. It's like there are two sides. It's like this whole side is saying, bless the Lord. And then this whole side repeats. It says, bless the Lord as they're singing together. These psalms are sung in Israel all the time to stir up a people that bless the Lord. How do we do this as kingdom people? We do it with thankfulness, with praise. We remember the past with thankfulness. When we look at this text here and what God is doing, we should be thankful. 
Uh, we had five kids near the end of our time in Charlotte while I was doing seminary full-time. And sometimes in those six years in school, I did not know how my bills were going to be paid. And you crunch the numbers, and we stuck to our budget, uh, but it wasn't always enough. And I'm sure some of you have known this feeling, uh, but the Lord was good. And everything up to this moment has worked out. <laughs> Remains to be seen if it will, but... I could be bitter at struggle, at difficulty, but you know what? I should be thankful. Some of you are wealthy here, and you think it's because you worked hard and were smart, and some of that's true, but if you really knew how King Jesus was holding you, and you could see into all the variables of your life, you might understand that the many times you were really one step away from losing it all. But God was kind, and you should be thankful. There are older ones here who are losing their health. They've had the privilege of seeing their kids grow up and seeing their grandkids, and even some of you have great-grandkids. The Lord is faithful, and you should be thankful. There are students here who got into college or got a good grade on a test, and they say, I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> they should be thankful. We can go on and on about all the little struggles and big disasters from which we have no idea from, from which the Lord has preserved us. We have no comprehension of the vast extent of his blessings, but know this, God is worthy to be blessed. And if you have an unthankful disposition, it will literally short circuit who you are in the Lord. He wants us to get past our personalities and bless the Lord. He wants the praise due his name as king. He deserves all praise and honor. And you and I, if we increase our thanksgiving and remember the past out of a deep heart of gratitude for the things God has done, not only will your complaining decrease, but God will change your life. You will be casting out idols and becoming the worshiper of God that he wants you to be. So be thankful for it's the right response to the reign of the king of all things. And it is the right response because his rule is now, not just in the past. I want you to see that you can live a kingdom life by remembering the Lord's goodness in the past, but I also want you to see that you can live a kingdom life by praying for the Lord's rule in the present. As I mentioned before, this whole psalm is a prayer of David. Imagine being at Solomon's coronation, seeing all the sights. The son of David is here to reign. He's going to build a temple. David actually got together a bunch of the stuff for Solomon to build the, the temple. So there's this anticipation that this is gonna be a huge deal, an anticipation of the promise of God. Imagine being there and hearing King David pray these words for him. And just as those words were precious to Solomon, so too are your prayers precious to Jesus, to the king. Do you believe in God's promises? And I don't mean this in a future sense. Do you believe that they're going to come true? My question is not so much do you hope in God's promises, but do you believe in God's promises now, in the present? Do you know that they are true for you now? Ephesians 2 says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raises us up with him and get this, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
You understand that wonderful picture of the throne room there? King Jesus is on his throne, having in the past saved you from eternal punishment. All authority has been given to him. God the Father, creator of all things, has welcomed Christ into the throne room of heaven. And the scripture says to us that you and I are seated there with him, reigning now. What a privilege we have that we are seated on the throne with God even now in the present. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Yet we live in the now and the not yet. Sometimes it's difficult to believe that we are reigning with God on the throne, that we're seated with him in the heavenly realm. What living in the now and the not yet means is that Christ is king, but there's still sin in the world and in us. Christ has promised that he will come again, but there are problems that we can assess. Evil people exist in the world. In the world. We still fall into sin. That addiction rears its ugly head. That outburst of anger flares up when your expectations weren't met. Life is hard. And instead of meditating on the fact that Jesus is on the throne, we give ourselves to bitterness, pride, depression, envy, anger, without even putting up a fight. And there are still the poor and needy and oppressed who are all throughout this psalm. Look at verses 12 through 14. The prayer of these verses is for domestic security. The king is concerned for the poor and the weak. He delivers the needy. He listens to the cries of the poor. He helps people who have no one else to help them. Now here we need to define what this idea of poor is. Of course, this includes a socioeconomic aspect, but in the Bible, the poor rarely refers to just materially poor. Remember Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the poor and needy here is in part a metaphor for those who recognize their need for God and turn to him. It is those who pray to the king for help. And truly, he is their only hope. It is the king, very specifically, who protects life. He stands against every form of sinful abuse and wrongful violence. Even the blood of innocent victims is precious in his sight. Remember the catechism? The question is this, how does Christ execute the office of the king? Answer, he executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. This is how the king of all things rules his kingdom. This is the kind of response that David was praying for in Solomon's heart, that he would be a man of justice for the poor. And then we have in verses 15 through 17, a prayer for the king's own royal reputation. It is a prayer for the king himself. Long live the king, the psalmist says. May he have the constant prayers of his people. Consider just for a moment how significant that verse is. May prayer be made for him continually. Do you pray for the present rule of Christ? In verse 16, he basically prays for purple mountain majesty and amber waves of grain. He prays for the spread of prosperous cities across his kingdom and his endless fame across all nations. He prays for honor and recognition of his kingship. Notice that at the end of verse 17, this recognition is not for his own benefit, but for the blessing of others. Let all the nations be blessed in him. This prayer ought to be our own prayer. This prayer should be for the church, for the people of God. It should be our prayer that the values of our own nation fall into line with the values 
of Christ's kingdom. Here we pray for every blessing of a generous God. Righteousness exalts a nation, but we are unrighteous in many ways. We should pray for justice to be done in the city and every local government. We should pray for justice in every legal system, especially in the defense of the needy and of children. We should pray that our prosperity would not come at the expense of the poor because we have been so touched with compassion for them and in turn are blessed because of that deep compassion because God is working in our hearts. It's easy to go through this life without a thought of the oppressed because we don't really believe this psalm. We believe that Christ is not for the oppressed but for the put together, the orderly, the proper But we Christians of all people should be about praying and ministering to the poor for we ourselves have nothing without Christ because we're poor in spirit. Don't miss the fact that the past must come before the present. What I mean is that we do not gain Christ's blessing because we live kingdom lives. No, we live kingdom lives because we have received Christ's blessing. He rules now and we are the poor and needy whom he cares for and has blessed. And we should pray for spiritual blessings of the Holy Spirit. Good preaching, strong churches, effective evangelism, a greater respect for God and society, a more common knowledge of the Bible. Beyond that, as we experience those blessings, we should pray for international influence, for the relief of the poor, for influence in other nations, promotion of right religion. Pray for domestic security on violent streets, that the Lord would save the lives of the needy and oppressed. Pray that the blood of innocent children would be precious in God's sight. Pray for the sanctity of life, for the unborn, for the elderly, for the dying, for the disabled, for the disregarded. Make it your prayer that God would bring his blessings and his protection and his care over all things. For he has promised it so. Do you believe it? Pray for this church that God would pour out his blessings on us so that we may be agents of righteousness in the world. Everything here in this psalm is something we should pray for the church as part of the kingdom. Pray for the leadership of the church, pastors, deacons, elders, staff, committees, volunteers. Pray that they would care for the needy, orphans, widows, poor in spirit. And since Jesus reigns as the king of of all things, you can live a kingdom life by praying for the Lord's rule in the present. Isn't this how Jesus taught his disciples? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be our name, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is ruling. He's seated on the throne in heaven and his kingdom is coming and we're supposed to pray for it, that it would be so on earth here now. There is nothing that's so bad. There's nothing so little that we cannot pray for it as God's people because we're seated with him on the throne. And as we look around at the world and assess those very real present problems that bring sadness to our souls, death of loved ones, that empty chair at the dinner table on Thanksgiving or Christmas, family strife, corrupt politicians, schools that are set up against Christ's present rule, sensuality of all kinds promoted in every entertainment. We must also look not just to the present, but the future hope of Christ. Not only can you live a kingdom life by remembering the Lord's goodness in the past and by praying for the Lord's rule in the present, But you can live a kingdom life by hoping in God's promises of the future. I want to let you in on a little secret. Jesus wins. I understand that Revelation is a difficult book to interpret. 
but it's a phenomenal book, and you should summarize it. You could summarize it in this way: Jesus wins. And yet, we live in a fallen world. We experience sin and death and heartache and disease, violence, oppression, drugs, murder. The list could go on and on. How can we be hopeful in such a dreary world? Maybe you aren't dejected. Maybe your sin is that you just don't care anymore. You're spiritually uninterested in those around you. You have seen too much, been too tired for too long. You go through life and its monotony without a second thought about God and his kingdom and that special kingdom life. You wouldn't describe your life in such lofty terms. Life is just boring monotony with the occasional highs and lows, which inevitably come to an end. You wish you could be Tigger, beaming with energy, but really you're more like an Eeyore. The Lord is calling you to be thankful first, then seek his rule in the present by praying for it. And as you do this, you will begin to hope in these things because you will have eyes to see them. You will begin to hope in God's promises. And it may look dreary in the U.S. right now, but it does not in the nations. The Lord could, if he wanted to, bring revival here in an instant. He has before in this country. If you lined up every Christian in the world, the most common Christian would be a 40-year-old African woman. Not African-American, in the country of Africa. That's the average, average Christian. Millions upon millions are coming to Christ in Africa, in China, in Muslim countries, in India. Why is this so? This is the case because Christ reigns and he is moving and he will win. And the gates of hell will not prevail against him and his church. This is true in your personal life as well. Your sin is not so big that it could overcome the king of all things. If you are tempted to believe that your sin has or will get the best of you, read this psalm. Verse seven, in his days the righteous flourish and peace abounds until the moon be no more. Verse eight, he has dominion from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. Verse 11, all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. That is comprehensive. Not just in his time with the kings visiting him and giving him presents, but all presidents, all kings and queens, all czars and dictators and lords, all fascists, all communists, all Republicans, all Democrats, all independents, every ruler, every single person in power that makes you nervous when you read the news is subject to the king of kings, subject to our king. Every knee will bow. Every person will serve him in the end. Verse 12, he delivers the needy when they pray. Verse 17, his name endures forever. People are blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Hope in these things, dear brothers and sisters. Hope in them because they are true. Hope in them because you are sons and daughters of the king of all things and you belong to the kingdom that is fit just for his rule and reign forever and ever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory forever and ever. I love The Hobbit. It's one of my favorite books. And it was one of my favorite books even before the Lord of the Rings movies came out. I don't think many people use this illustration. So if you aren't familiar with the story, a hobbit named Bilbo goes on a long journey to defeat a great dragon. But the journey is long and arduous and Bilbo has never left his home before. 
There's a part in the story during Bilbo's journey where he and his company of dwarves have been in the great Mirkwood forest for many months and have lost their way and they're running out of food. And the trees are so big and so tall that you, it's not really light. It's just darkness all the time. They convince Bilbo to climb to the top of the tree and try to see if he can see the end of the forest. He climbs and is dismayed because there's no end in sight. J.R.R. Tolkien writes that if he had been wise, if Bilbo had been wise, he would have realized that he was in a valley. And even though he could not have seen the end, it was near. He only had to believe Gandalf's word and continue the journey. Of course, <laughs> books need conflict, so he despairs. Uh, but may we learn this valuable lesson. No matter what you're going through, God is worth hoping in and his promises are true. And you may feel with every bone in your body that you cannot see the end. And that may be true, that you can't see it. But lack of sight does not rule out hope. And if you're struggling and cannot see the end, or you hear stories and hold a heavy burden for the hurting world, remember that we are just in a valley. Jesus rules on the throne. Jesus has defeated death and sin. All we have to do is mop up his victory. Goliath is defeated, and it is our job to charge and kill the fleeing Philistines. That's your sin. Do not be cowardly, for our king is not cowardly. Do not shrink back as if this temporary life is worth trading for the loss of eternal things. Do not despair, oh, you have little faith. God is at work. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our King. Jesus is King, which means we can live a kingdom life by hoping in God's promises of the future. Hear these words from 1 Timothy. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, the mystery of living kingdom lives now revealed. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Christ was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. All of that is past tense. He reigns now. Remember how we confess, confess Christ in the past, present, future way, sometimes in liturgy. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ shall come, come again. Past, present, future. Or from Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now go and live a life worthy of your king in all godliness and kingdom faithfulness. He is with you to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We are tempted so often to believe our sight, to live by sight, and yet you give us so many weapons against this feeling, against this darkness. You give us faith, you give us hope, you give us prayer, you give us thankfulness. And so, Lord, I pray that this word would go and work in our hearts as we go out from here, that we would truly be thankful, that we would pray, that we would hope, and that you would increase our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.